0: When I became the CEO, and look, I've won awards as a litigator, but that doesn't make you a good CEO. If you're a good trial lawyer, it's a whole different skill set. And I've taken a couple of years on going to all seminars and trying to learn how to be the best CEO I can be from emulating some of the top managing attorneys and CEOs of various law firms. So I've learned so much about how important culture is.
1: Welcome to the Tip to Skills podcast, where we discuss running and growing your law firm. I'm your host, Maria Monroy, president and co-founder of LawRink. Today I am joined by Lawrence LeBrock from Garcia's Grabler and LeBrock. I'm like so impressed. We talked about company culture and how important that is and how they communicate with clients and how that's led to them getting so many referrals, podcasting. So this is like really, really neat what they're doing. So many law firms want to start a podcast. Reviews, which if you guys think I'm annoyed by intake, reviews is next. They're like battling it out right now. I really, really enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: So tell us your name and title and firm.
0: My name is Lawrence LeBrock. I'm a member of the firm of Garces, Grable & LeBrock. I am the managing partner and or CEO of the firm. We have 13 offices in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and we're opening up in New York next year.
1: Wow, congrats, that's awesome. Thank you, thank you. How long have you guys been in business?
0: Well, Garces and Grabbler, they partnered up in 1991. I was a partner at another firm and joined with those guys on January 2nd of 2007. They made me that proverbial offer I couldn't refuse. I showed it to my partners that I had at the time, and they said, you have to go. I said, yeah, I have to go because (laughs) the offer was so such a great offer that I had to move over, and they had me come into the personal injury department and basically take over and revamp the personal injury department.
1: You guys do other types of law?
0: We no longer do anything but injury law. We do workers' compensation and personal injury. And we have a lot of cases. We have about 4,000 workers' comp cases and about 2,700 personal injury cases. Active right now. Active right now.
1: That's crazy.
0: It's a lot. We do have over 30 attorneys and we have 135 team members that help handle all of that work.
1: And when you joined the firm, how big was it then?
0: The firm was much smaller. I think we had four to six offices at the time. And I think we only had four personal injury lawyers at the time. Now we have 23 personal injury lawyers at the firm. And then we have several uh, workers' compensation attorneys as well.
1: That's crazy. How has that growth been for you guys?
0: Well, with the gr- the growth has been fantastic, and it didn't happen overnight. So it it's been gradual, and it seems the more we grow, the better we get with our reputation as a top litigation firm in the tri-state area. Better and better attorneys want to join our firm, so the caliber of the eternity attorney- of the attorneys goes up, and. It increases the value of the cases because the two greatest factors to increase value of a case is knowing your client so you can have empathy for the client, you can understand them, and the quality of the attorney that's taking the case to trial.
1: And what do you guys do to get to know the client?
0: In our firm, you have to talk to your client monthly. So there's we call at least 10 clients a day, unless they prefer to be contacted by email or text or WhatsApp, whatever they choose, we'll contact them and update them at least monthly. If there's 10 a day, you're usually contacting them every three weeks. And what that does for the firm is it really cuts down on phone calls coming in. And unlike most law firms where the biggest complaint is, I never hear from my lawyer, it's we hear from you all the time nothing's changed it's only been three four weeks uh, but i think it's much better to be in contact with them let them know we're on top of their case we care about them and uh, it builds a trust factor
1: but how do you guys go about that is it the lawyer that's contacting them is it the case manager how, how do you and then how do you ensure that it's actually happening and that it's not bs
0: first of all it could be made by the attorney or their paralegals. Every attorney has two paralegals that work exclusively for them. So it could be the attorney, it could be one of the two paralegals that are contacting the client. And it's documented in our case management system.
1: What's your case management system? Uh,
0: We use Smart Advocate. Okay. So it's documented in our case management system, and it's sent to myself and our COO at the end of every business day.
1: And do you guys record those calls?
0: We don't record those calls, but in our firm, if it's not in writing, it never happens. So they document <laughs> we're exa- the same way. exactly yep. what has happened and what the conversation entailed. And it could be as simple as I called a follow-up to see how they were doing with their treatment with the physical therapist or the chiropractor, or the orthopedic surgeon, and they just put the notes in.
1: And how do you think that implementing this and executing has helped your firm grow
0: most of our cases come in from word of mouth referrals it's well over 50 percent of our cases are repeat business or not maybe it's not the same person getting into the injury but it could be their brother it could be their cousin their friend so we get a lot of referrals from doctors in the area as well as other law firms and our client base
1: And what percentage of that 50% would you say is coming from past clients? Or is it 50% that is past clients?
0: It's mostly past clients and their referrals.
1: So that's really impressive, period. But at your size, that's really impressive.
0: It's amazing because we've just changed our marketing company, our SEO company, because we're not getting anything from our prior SEO. We are getting... We have a lot of billboards, and they really work for us. We have, I think, 85, maybe a few more in the tri-state area. And 80% of our traffic to our website is coming from the billboards. It's the branding campaign that's driving traffic to our website. How much of that is actually converting, we don't know.
1: What it's doing is if you've taken such great care of your clients, and now they're constantly seeing the billboard, it's going to help the referrals.
0: Right, we want to be the tide of attorneys in New Jersey. So when somebody has their clothes are dirty, they think of Tide. You know, we want when somebody gets injured, you know, cuz that's all we advertise. It's just simply injury lawyers, GGL wins. And that's that's who we are.
1: What is the the message you guys put on your billboards? Is it any like how do you differentiate yourselves from every other billboard lawyer in New Jersey or is it just a numbers game? You're like we have so many billboards We've been in business for so long that it's just making sure that we don't lose that.
0: Well, I think the billboards are drive people to our website and we give so much information on our website. I'm here doing your podcast. I have a podcast. Um, I do FAQs with, I'm not going to push anybody else, but I'm writing a book with another company that's. I'm also doing a podcast with. So if they come to our website, they're going to get a lot of information. We have a lot of great commercials on our on our website, and there's so much information uh, that we want to be able to be the teachers or educate the clients, their friends, their family, and everybody in the tri-state area on personal injury and workers' compensation law in the area.
1: I just find that PI and workers' comp to like the average person, it's such a boring subject. So nobody really cares about it until they really care, right? So this idea, and I see this trend happening where law firms are starting to do this podcast. Can we talk a little bit about that? How often are you you know, doing an episode? What are they about? Have you noticed traction? How do you get that podcast out? Are you... When somebody contacts you guys, and I know I'm asking so many questions at once, so so bear with me. When somebody contacts the firm and for any reason you guys can't close them, are you sending them that information, that podcast? Um, is. It, I assume it's on your website, but w- what are some of the, the things that you do with that?
0: Well, the podcast is on our website. It airs weekly. And I think the smartest thing about our podcast, it's not about us. It's not about... GGL it's not about corpses grabble lebrock it's about the victim what do you do if you're in an automobile accident? Um, so we bring on top surgeons. We bring on oh, top wow. chiropractors. Okay. We bring on physical therapists. I had Tom Giordano from Pondley Hockey come on and talk about social security disability and workers' compensation and how important it is to get the right attorney. Um, but usually it's doctors that we're talking to. So if somebody's a victim of a an automobile collision, they're in a construction accident, they know who to contact and how they should be treated. And most importantly, they're finding out that the insurance companies are not on their side.
1: How many downloads are you getting per episode?
0: I know I should know that, but I, I really, I don't. And I leave that to the the marketing people.
1: But is it getting traction? Do you know?
0: It's It's getting traction slowly. It's building. I know that.
1: It's a unique situation where it's not like someone's going to subscribe and tune in every week. But again, when they need it, it can be really helpful. Like, oh, here are all these answers to all these questions I have, right? So I really love that. And I'd be curious to see how well it, it can't perform.
0: And we do also, I said like the FAQs, it's, you know, what do you do if you're in an accident? Very simple. Tell people what they should be doing right away. Um, Should you be talking to your insurance company? What should you tell them? What do I do if I'm in a uh, construction accident? What's the difference between workers' compensation and personal injury? So we explain all these things to them in detail.
1: And how are you coming up with the topics for the episodes?
0: The topics are, we we round table the topics and try to decide what we should talk about. What do the people really need to know? Where are they confused? How can we help them?
1: You know what I would do if I were you? So your SEO agency should have, should be writing blogs that are being searched. Uh, Ideally that's how they're doing it, right? So it's never like, let me just write a blog for the sake of writing a blog. It's what are people searching? So digitally we have that data. Right? It's not perfect data, but we have that data. So, writing on those, ex- like, sorry, doing the podcast on those exact topics, because you know what people are searching for. Right. Do you ever go outside of PI? Do you ever talk about criminal law or anything else? Or it's very PI workers' comp?
0: No, we don't because at our firm, even when we did ancillary um, areas of the law, everybody was a specialist. For example, I'm never in workers' comp court. I I never did criminal work at Garces Graveler, LeBrock. All we do, if you're a personal injury lawyer, all you're ever going to do is personal injury. Now, it could be a construction case. It could be an accident case. And a workers' comp lawyer is only doing workers' comp. At our firm, everybody specializes in one thing. We don't want jack-of-all-trades. We want experts, specialists in what they do.
1: No, I only ask because people tend to have more questions about what is legal and what isn't just in general than PI specific questions. Because again, that's like very specific. And I would guess that you don't even need that many downloads at all. It's because again, they're not, you're not looking for the subscriber type that tunes in every week and is just like a diehard fan, right? You just, when they need it and they find it, and they listen to it that's all you need but what i would do if i were you is i would start incorporating it into your onboarding right because even though they have access to you guys and you guys are calling them once a month they might have a lot of questions initially and like sending that podcast and saying hey you know here's this resource for you
0: it's funny you said that because i actually did one not not actually a podcast but one of the faqs was I I got on and I told them who I was and what the process is from start to finish on what to expect in the lawsuit and how long they really take and why they take so long. So I broke everything down. I don't want to bore the audience here, but I went through step by step from the filing of the complaint. When you end medical treatment, I said, well, now we have to gather the information and that's going to take 60 days. So I even laid out the time frame for them. And then we're going to make a demand. And if the insurance company doesn't want to pay what we want, then we're going to file a lawsuit. Then they have 35 days to answer. Then there's a year, plus of discovery and so everyone understands that this if you want to maximize the value of your case it's probably going to take four years because the insurance companies as you know they'll offer you on a hundred thousand dollar case three thousand dollars and they hope the people will jump for the money and you never see full value on a case until the day of trial or very close there to
1: are you sending them that episode? Because that's like setting expectations like 101 right there. I love it.
0: Yes, yes. And it's because I've I always did that with my clients and I never had complaints about uh, why is this taking so long. But of course you realize not everybody else in the firm was doing that. So you know Got it. and we've we've really improved our teaching in the firm it was very difficult i used to have 180 litigation files myself and i had 240 pre-litigation files now i had a great staff working with me but that's that's a huge number and i'm an owner so i i'll I'll work 24 seven. but not every other attorney wants to work that hard nor do i want them to work that hard Um, so that's why we capped the number of files much, much lower than that, that any attorney will handle. So every case is worked up fully.
1: I have a few more questions about the podcast, if you don't mind. Are you recording virtually when you're interviewing or are you recording in person?
0: No, we're recording virtually.
1: Okay. And are you taking clips of that and posting it on social?
0: I don't know, but we should be. And we, like I I think I told you earlier, we just hired a new marketing team, so they're putting all of this together for us now they're thrilled with all of the um, things that they have to work with from the podcast the faqs
1: i find it fascinating because it's like utilizing a podcast a little bit differently that than most right but it can really help like answer all those questions so that they don't call you right and setting those expectations like that's crucial
0: it's great and by clients not calling as much, it allows the paralegals and attorneys to concentrate on what they're doing at the moment. You know, I've always filed, and I'm not a political animal, but I read a book by Trump years ago that, you know, said never take a phone call. So when I was had this huge caseload, I never took a phone call. I would let them go into my voicemail, I would look them up and then call them right back. But I knew everything about them so I could call them and say, Oh, Mr. Smith, how are you today? Is everything going well with the doctor? And, you know, did you get that third epidural? All right. How are you feeling? Are things going better? Do you need to see the surgeon? Do you want us to schedule something? So, it was we don't have to do that anymore now because you're in such constant contact with your clients that you're you know exactly where they are in their treatment or the status of their case.
1: And does Smart Advocate prompt them hey it's time it's been a month
0: well smart advocate would do that we don't put it in because it's revolving so they have to do it they have a separate list but yes smart advocate will kick out it's time to call this person here are your 10 people to call if we put it up we have not set that up yet
1: what do you guys do in terms of because you have so many locations so many active cases in terms of generating reviews for your google my business listings
0: What we do is we, of course, uh, we give out $100 bills to anyone who gets a five-star review. So, and we actually make a big deal out of it. We hand out the $100 bills. So people are always asking for a, a review because they want the five-star review. We give an award or awards at the end of the year for customer service. And it's really big in our culture to take care of the clients. And one of our uh, one of our uh, keys is treat clients like family. And we all have a, uh, an aunt or uncle that's a little crazy. Yes, just we still, do. We still have to treat them really well. And that's what I try to explain to all of our team members is that, you know, you're going to get some difficult people sometimes, just like you have difficult people in your family, but treat them like you would want to be treated.
1: My whole family is difficult.
0: <laughs> I think a lot of us could probably say that. Uh,
1: so I have a few annoyances when working with firms and it tends to be intake and reviews. And now it's also, and it's tied to intake, but missed calls and the number of rings it takes for the firm to pick up. like These are things that just really fucking annoy me. So when it comes to reviews, who gets the $100? The attorney, the paralegal?
0: That's a great question. It's who whoever is named in the review.
1: What if multiple people are named?
0: They all get paid
1: how are they asking for the review? Are you guys utilizing a tool? Are they asking for it when they come in for the check, before, how does it work? You can ask
0: for the review at any time. We do not have a system for that, but yes, you always ask for a review when you hand them the check. And then we have a software that they can use to go in and do a Google review on their own.
1: Do you know what the software is? Yeah,
0: I do. Bird not. I
1: Connect Podium it's
0: Review Driver is okay. what it is, and it also, if whatever review we get, we know what the reviews are, and we also ask for uh, the Review Driver also sends out and asks how are we doing. So we want private internal reviews as well, and we address if a review comes back at anything but a five, it's immediately a phone call. And how can we do better? What are the issues? And if it's something that we think is a, a problem, then it gets a call from one of the senior partners.
1: You mean you don't get angry and respond in an angry manner to the person that left you the review?
0: No, no, no. What we'll do is we professionally say, oh, we're sorry that you're upset. I'm being
1: sarcastic. No, 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 some we, firms do that and it no, drives me insane. I, how
0: can you do that? The people are upset. Uh, you, If anyone is has any sort of problem, we address it immediately. But
1: what if you believe it's a fake review? You're like, this is a fake negative review. This is not our we have a company
0: that will take that down. We have a company that works on that and they've done a great job.
1: Okay, so it sounds like you guys have really worked on this culture of treating your clients like family, which really means so many things, right? From being in constant communication to maximizing the case value to, you know, getting that review right and like you said it also ends up minimizing the phone calls that come into the firm which go back to my other annoyance which is intake right um how did you create this culture was it something that was already there when you came into the firm was it something that's developed um and how did you implement
0: uh, well i'd have to say that Bill Biggs was a big help with the culture of our firm. When I became the CEO, and look, I've won awards as a litigator, but that doesn't make you a good CEO. If you're a good trial lawyer, it's a whole different skill set. And I've taken a couple of years on going to all seminars and trying to learn how to be the best CEO I can be from emulating some of the top... uh, managing attorneys and CEOs of various law firms. So I've learned so much about how important culture is. And you know, it's funny, I was captain of every team, you know, playing in sports. I was always a captain of the ball team. Not that I was the best player, but probably the most tenacious. And you know, th- I think that's really helped is that I always say, how do you lead by example? And you know, I think we treat our people very well. Like we are a big family. Um, we have a lot of events. We have five events a year, you know, our end of the year holiday party. It's like a wedding reception. We spend a fortune on that. It is absolutely beautiful. Am I invited? Sure, you. Thank can. You. You know, I will you, be there. You can come, <laughs> and it's it's a great time. We had a, We just had a bowling night in the fall where we had food and bowling. And it's bring your fr- bring you know your family members with you. We have a huge picnic in the summer. We rent out um, a suite and a whole party deck for a minor league baseball game in the spring. We have a breakfast at a beautiful venue where we bring in a, a motivational speaker and we set the goals for the year. I tell everybody how great we did. The last year, because we have. If we didn't do as well, I would say that. And we set the expectations right there in January on how good a year we did. This year, we're we're up over the expected number by several million. So I'll be able to talk about that, and you know where our goals are for the future. And we give out a lot of uh, awards, and it's a very very positive culture. But it's changed. It's changed over the years
1: how so?
0: It's improved. We have evolved into realizing that, you know, this, there's more to being a law firm than getting great results. You know, I was, was very proud of multi-million dollar verdicts and, you know, the big results. But what you have to understand is people remember how you treated them more than what you did for them. Mm-hmm. So if you treat somebody very, very well, they're gonna come back to you. Um, I think we maximize value because one of the things that our firm is, it's a terminable offense if you undersettle a case. You're fired on the spot.
1: thats It's so funny, you like read my mind because what I was gonna ask you is, how do you handle situations where the employee isn't performing?
0: Well, what, what we do is, I personally value all 2,700 cases in the firm. So I put a value on that case and it cannot be settled for less than that. The case must be tried um, and everyone knows that. The insurance adjusters know that is like once a value set, if they're not paying that value, well, we're gonna roll the dice and we're gonna try this case.
1: And do you set that in Smart Advocate?
0: We do, and it's set. And of course, there's situations where I may set a value and I'm gonna just use round numbers of 100,000. There's a $90,000 offer and a client saying, take the money, take the money. Ethically, you have to take the money, but it's, those are rare situations. And I've always told everybody I've spent 95% of my career talking clients out of taking offers and maybe 5% of the time telling them, Hey, this is a lot of money for your case. It's time to, it's time to settle this. You know, it's normally I said the hell with them. Uh, Let's try this case. They're, they're undervaluing it. Let's go.
1: But in terms of just like any other employee that isn't performing, even though you treat them like family, if they're not performing, is it time to go? Or do you struggle with that?
0: No, no. What we do is we really don't struggle with that. We have a bottom line that you're expected to do. And if that line is not met, we'll look, we'll put that person on, they'll get a probation every year. But there's they'll be taught. I'll spend more time with them. I'll try to study and see what they can improve upon, what they're doing well. And we really, like last year, for example, we had two attorneys that really weren't doing as well as they should have. And the one is knocking it out of the box. We sat down, talked about some things and she's killing it. And the other gentleman left because at our firm, if you're not willing to really work hard for your client, you're not going to make it with us and he, he i didn't have to let him go he let himself go
1: i think a lot of business owners really struggle with firing people
0: i struggle with it i never want to have to let anyone go but i you know when i people in the firm know it's there was somebody that i would go golfing with in the firm and he just wasn't performing and i came down and i went through all of his files did a bunch of work for him To help him get him up to speed. I did it twice, and then I had to let him go.
1: It demoralizes the rest of the team, so you have to be really, really careful.
0: Well, and I think we have a little bit of a system of check and balance at our firm as well, because the attorneys are paid a percentage of what they bring in, so they want to maximize the value uh, of the cases. And we preach and we explain to them how important it is to Empathize with the client, get to know the client because that's going to maximize the value because then you can sell that client's pain and suffering to the insurance company or the adjuster. If you don't know that person, they just become a number. And we don't want that. We want everything to be personalized and personalize it with the other side. And so they know that you know your client and you know what they're going through and you can really maximize the value for settlement purposes.
1: I love that. It sounds like you guys have a a really great culture.
0: We're, we try we really do
1: I'm sure it's so you know it's a living thing right so it is
0: and you know there's been drama you know our firm isn't perfect there's been drama but with our culture that drama weeds itself out these people will leave because they don't fit. I want people that believe in the clients, that believe we're on the side of justice, that we are trying to maximize the value of the case because as I told you earlier, we're not doctors. We cannot make these people better. And I get horrific injuries and represent people that are in tremendous pain. And it doesn't matter how much money I get these people, I can't make them better. But all I can do is get them enough money that it can improve the quality of their life into the future. And that's all I can do for these people. And some of the people break your heart. You know, you do become callous because you see it a lot, but there's people that just, you know, they have such high spirit and they overcome their injuries and battle through. And man, you want to fight for those people. But you don't know that if you don't know your client.
1: Now, you guys seem to be so client-centric. Are there any clients that have stood out over the years?
0: There's several clients that have stood out over the years, but I seem to always go back to one, and I've seen horrific injuries where people have been paralyzed. People have had third-degree burns all over their body, but there was one young lady that really hit home, and it, it, it tore my heartstrings. It, a beautiful young 19-year-old um, woman was in a car, driving home from her boyfriend's house. They had just watched a movie. She's driving home, and a 17-year-old drunk driver ran through two stop signs and teed up the vehicle. Now imagine, she's sleeping with her head against the door, and that's the side where it was hit. Um, The car rolled over. She was hanging upside down, um, half in the vehicle, half out of the front uh, window. The reason we know this is they took so many pictures because they thought it was going to be a fatality. Um, Where her face is, her nose and mouth, it was gone. It was a hole. It was completely gone. So they rushed her to the hospital and she had severe orthopedic injuries as well. And as you can imagine, there was a a 17 year old driver with only a $15,000 insurance policy. This young lady uh, had such spirit. I probably never worked harder on a case. I dug everywhere you possibly could to find insurance money. I found out through investigations, through depositions, where this kid was drinking. He was at two house parties. I got their insurance thrown in um, from the the, uh, two houses that he was at, their homeowner's insurance policy. The driver of the vehicle that she was in... We got them to turn in their $500,000 policy because the driver, although he was severely injured also, we said that he was also partially at fault because he saw the car speeding because the the 17-year-old had those purple running boards. So he saw the guy speeding and he said, I didn't think he was going to stop, but he never stopped.
1: Was he drinking?
0: He was not. He was not. And he was also severely injured, but we're... And he... Received a very good settlement as well in this case, but we did had to you take, handle
1: his case too. No, no you we couldn't, did not, right? Because no, that would the, been
0: a conflict of God, interest, yep. right? Because I sense. had to, I had to sue him, him as right? one of the drivers. <laughs> Um, and was he
1: upset that you were suing? No,
0: he, he completely understood, you know, because of the severity of of her injuries. Uh, we were just trying to get as much money as we could for this young lady to try to get her to be able to put her face back together. But her spirit was indelible. It was incredible. She was going through all of the, the facial reconstructions and the broken pelvis and the broken, uh, hip joint. She still was went to college she went to nursing school even though she was being pushed around in a wheelchair she didn't miss school she battled through she actually became an emergency room uh, uh, nurse and then she became um, a surgical I think it was a surgical nurse first, but because of her orthopedic injury, she couldn't stand for those long periods of time and became an ER nurse. And she's a nurse to this day. She had a, uh, a child and she's thriving and we're still in contact. Then we even forced that 17-year-old kid, he pays her every month for his entire life. He writes her a check and that's one of the things she wanted me to do. And I said, I've n- never done this before, she's, but I want this guy to think about me. Every month for the rest of his life.
1: How did you get him to do that?
0: Because I said, if not, I'm going to get a huge verdict against you. And you're going to be, you're, I'm going to have a lien on anything you ever own. And so he said, he agreed to pay this woman. It's not a huge check, but it's, no, it's, 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 it's the point that it's she wanted. It. Yeah. And it was, it's about doing what the client wants. And this young lady wanted me to do that and, that's how I brokered, I brokered that settlement. And every month we get a check from this gentleman and it goes to the young lady.
1: And you were able to also throw in all these other, like you, she got more than 15 grand.
0: She she got a lot more than 15 grand because we were able to pull together a lot of insurance that if it and I'm not patting myself on the back, but it was a tremendous amount of work. There's a lot of law firms that would have just said, ah, there's only a $15,000 policy. Sorry, that's all we can do. But we found the, the you know, where this kid was drinking and we really battled several depositions, multiple years, and it ended up settling on the eve of trial.
1: See, this is something that worries me as a parent, not just the whole them being on the road, but kids drinking at my house. I don't have teens yet, but I will one day.
0: It's funny you said that because my I have a 16-year-old he will be 17 next month. I have an older boy who's 21 at the University of Miami. My son asked, "Hey dad, can I have people over? You know, can I have a, a a graduation party next year?" I said, "Son, I can't do it. I can't have people drinking at my house." He says, "What if you take their keys and sleep over?" I said, "Look, they're underage. I can't be responsible for that. I said, look, I've worked very hard. You want to lose everything because we've had somebody get injured and, you know, you just can't. You have to protect yourself. And, you know, kids want to drink, but I can't let them do that at my house.
1: I understand. It's just that the flip side, right, is like I'd rather them drink in my house than...
0: My older boy, Cody... Unbeknownst to me, had people over uh, drinking uh, on occasion after he was eighteen, um, but they would never. But they would sleep over. The keys would be taken away. Uh, they want to Uber somewhere. That's fine, but never let. Can't let the kids drive.
1: No, so scary.
0: Oh, it is. And you can't have those big parties at your house. I actually had a birthday party thrown at my house, and I didn't serve alcohol. I, I said I don't want any gifts. Bring your own. You want to bring your favorite bottle. So people supply their own alcohol because I am not going to supply alcohol and endanger somebody's life. If they want to do it. So
1: is that a loophole? It might be. Wow. You don't know though. It might be. Huh.
0: Because I didn't serve it. They brought it. They brought it.
1: That's really smart. That's sneaky.
0: I have moments.
1: You're such a lawyer. (laughs) Who would have (laughs) thought? I feel like because I work with lawyers, I'm always thinking of these like potential liabilities.
0: There's so many crazy things that happen. Is that I'll I'll, I'll be in a store and I'll see a spill and I'll just stand by and I'll say, hey, "Can we get somebody to clean this up?" Because even though it could be a potential case for me, I don't want to see somebody get hurt. So, but you see it from doing it for so long, you see all the hazards.
1: Yeah. It's funny at one of my first conferences ever, like five years ago. I don't know, It was I don't remember who it was, but a lawyer was like, don't ever let your kids ride bikes on the street or jump on trampolines. That's the advice I can give you. And like, I really took it to heart, right? So my husband was so annoyed with me for years because I would not take him to a party if it was a trampoline. It's like, you gotta let the kids be kids. And I was like, PI lawyers told me this.
0: Well, I- I actually have a trampoline in my backyard and I let my kids ride bikes on the street, but they do wear their helmets when but they're riding. So
1: we eventually ended up uh, getting bikes when we lived in San Diego and we, we would definitely ride, ride them with the kids. But for a long time, I was like very paranoid. The
0: trampolines are very dangerous. Pools are very dangerous. I have a pool, I have a pool too and a ground pool, but they are dangerous. All I can bunk tell beds. people is. That's uh, another
1: one that I will not do. The boys have begged me for a bunk, bunk bed. bed.
0: Yeah, a lot of kids fall out of bunk beds.
1: Yeah. And it's funny because I have a a client who has two little boys and they have a bunk bed and he's a PI lawyer. And I'm like, really? You out of all people? And this client also who will not be named does not put his kid in the proper car seat. It's really, that is like a huge annoyance of mine. I was like, I will buy you proper car seats. (laughs) That one is like, I'm like a stickler on that one. My kids were rear facing till they were five.
0: I followed the rules with that, even though, you know, when I was a kid, there was no seat belts. And I can remember one time as a I was in college and professor was driving somewhere and I don't want to put my seatbelt on. And I, she's like, I was like, just, that's, not, that's just not cool. She's no, it's not cool not to wear a seatbelt. You know? And then when you get into this business, you realize from a lot of EMS personnel, they said you never unbuckle a dead person. Why? They don't unbuckle dead people. Dead people don't wear seatbelts usually in car crashes.
1: But you know what's really, really crazy? So we come to all these conferences, right? And we jump on Ubers to go to dinner. Seriously, the amount of times that PI lawyers will put on a seatbelt on an Uber is like rare. And I'm like the total mom. I'm like, you're putting me in danger. I need all of you to put on your seats right now. And they're like, oh my God, Marie. And I'm like, you're PI lawyers. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Put on your seatbelt. And they know. Some people already know. Like they get Uber with me and they're like, okay, before you say something
0: You're driving around with a person you don't know. And even if you trust the person that's driving, you should always wear your seatbelt because somebody's exactly. It's 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 usually somebody else that's the problem. Isn't it ironic? It is ironic. And you think I just
1: I find it fascinating.
0: You think we would know better as personal injury lawyers with the dangers of not wearing a seatbelt.
1: Yeah, it's just like I don't know, like that that idea that we're invincible, like it never fails.
0: I used to be invincible. When you get to be my age, you realize you're not invincible anymore.
1: I don't think I'm invincible, but I'm just like high like high anxiety. So like every time I jump on a plane, I'm scared. And it's like the safest thing I could be doing probably. And I'm like worried.
0: If you want me to go into one other client that really... Don't tell Uh, me it
1: was a plane crash.
0: No, no, no. This one was... I
1: won't won't have that. I
0: I can't disclose the amount. It has to be... It was an undisclosed uh, amount. But the person was a laborer, and he was working for six different apartment complexes, paid by one, but the... Same person owned all six, multi-billionaire, owns a professional sports team, own these six complexes. And this gentleman was told to go up and use an acetone-based substance to scrape off the polyurethane of a hardwood floor so they could refinish the floor. Well, they had a meeting the day before making sure all the pilot lights were out. Well, they turned off two of the three pilot lights, but somebody forgot to turn off the hot water heater. So when he was in there, scraping, had the windows open, and luckily a supervisor came in and even said, all right, we got to open all these windows. Even with every window open, that supervisor left, he was working. It ignited. The fumes caught the base of that hot water heater. It exploded. He was on the third floor. The witnesses said he looked like a matchstick floating to the ground. He was blown out of the third story. So, he lands, shatters his legs, hips, shoulder, a bunch of orthopedic injuries, but he had burns over his, almost his entire body. The guy had burns everywhere, but his face and his hands. So, if he was dressed like I am right now, he'd be look fine, but the rest of his body was burnt. The flames were so hot, it burnt off his genitalia. Uh, and I kid you not, he was 28 years of age, no children. That's how hot the flames were. It burnt all of his clothes. He was burnt severely from his neck down, except for his hands and his face. They were trying to hide behind the workers' compensation bar because in New Jersey, you can't sue in negligence um, your employer. You have to go through workers' compensation. But we worked really hard for this guy. We made what's called a lay low claim, which is a case that says if the person, if you're putting this person in a high degree of danger and you know it, you could be held liable in negligence. So we made that argument and we ended up um, settling this case at a mediation. They came in. The funny part about this was is they came in high powered multi-billionaire with Three top attorneys from around the country, one from Chicago flew in, one from Los Angeles and one from Houston, top defense lawyers. They come in and we're in a mediation and they said, we're not paying a dime on this. This case is going to be barred. You're going to get nothing. One of my associates had worked on this case for about six years.
1: Six years? Six
0: years. Almost had a breakdown. Where F this, I'm leaving because we went to the back room and I looked at him and I said, They did not fly three top lawyers from around the country for a no pay. They would have just said, we'll see you at trial. And we ended up, they started, came back with a seven-figure offer, and it just kept going up and up. And we ended up in mediation. We started at nine in the morning. We settled the case at seven o'clock at night. Had to talk to the client. The client wanted to take the first seven-figure offer because he was a gentleman from Ecuador, you know, didn't have any money, and you know, for seven figures, he could probably buy a Pueblo in Ecuador and live happily ever after. So, But we got him a hell of a lot more money than that. So he, uh, he did really well.
1: You know I'm from Mexico, right? No, no. So that was like just way too funny. I just like pictured <laughs> a little Pueblo.
0: And we made sure that we, you know, and, and it's kind of funny because they want to take money in cash. We're like, no, you are not taking that kind of cash. We're going to get your money wired over, and you
1: know, yeah, that would have been try the stupidest thing. to get, get a financial
0: planner. said, this money could last you the rest of your life. You know, you'll do well. This is kind of generational wealth you have now in Ecuador. So you take care of this money and really set that person up.
1: So he ended up going back to Ecuador. Yeah. Was he a legal immigrant?
0: Illegal, but he did. Ha- he was working at the time. With a he, permit. Yeah, yeah, so with a permit. So he was able to get workers' comp, and we got his medical paid for his life. Medical through workers' comp. His medical bills are paid for the rest of his life.
1: And that money goes so much further in Ecuador. It does. Like, it, there's no comparison. Yeah.
0: So he he'll do very, very well. But again, I can't make him better there's nothing I could do. They called him the miracle man. They didn't fix his orthopedic injuries for three months because they didn't think he was going to live.
1: Why? Well, I have a, a weird question. How come his hands and face were okay?
0: That's the amazing part is those were the only places they weren't clothing. So everything attached, the vapors and everything attached, to the clothes that were on him and the clothes burned off his body.
1: God, I could not do what you do, Lawrence.
0: It's it's, it's
1: I really awful. could not.
0: And to see what burn victims go through, it's 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 horrific.
1: My daughter, so I did something that was kind of mean, but I felt like it was necessary. I was like, "You want to see what little kids that get burned look like?" And she thought it was going to be like she didn't know, right? So I showed her like really severe pictures and she was like traumatized. So for like a year, I know it's like funny, not funny, but for like a year, anytime I would tell her not to do something, I'd be like, don't do that. You're gonna like cut your finger. Do you want me to show you pictures of kids who cut their finger? She'd be like, no, and she would literally stop. And it was like so mean, but I felt like it was the only way for her to really truly, because that's like one of my, again, I'm like afraid of like everything. It's like a miracle. I I do what I do when I travel as much, but I'm like afraid every time I boil water.
0: Well, have you ever burned yourself? Yes. B- burns are horrible, horrible. I remember horrible. myself the
1: other day, it was like the tiniest burn here. I ran under the cold water and it wasn't even bad at all and it was like so annoying.
0: Imagine that over 80% of your body. No, I don't want to. It's, it's rough. We wanna take care of those people the best we can.
1: Oh, it sounds like you certainly did. Well, thank you so much.
0: It's been my pleasure.
1: Thank you so much to everything Lawrence shared with us today. If you found this story valuable, please share it with someone you want to see succeed. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and leave a five-star review. It goes a long way to help others discover the show.